right. Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in today. This is Veterans for Peace, Chapter 92 Seattle radio show. We air every fourth Wednesday of the month at 6 to 7 p.m. on KODX 96.9 in Seattle. And you can hear the show stream at KODXSeattle.org. Now, my co-host, Michael Diedrich, extends his apologies. He could not be here today, but he says hello to the listening audience and to our guests. Now, real quick, a bit about Veterans for Peace. Veterans for Peace was started in 1985. We are a national organization, really international, because we have uh, chapters uh, in different countries. Um, our members here in the U.S. include, uh, believe it or not, veterans from World War II. So these are veterans that have been around quite some time, all the way through the current conflicts and what some people call peacetime. But when you're talking about peacetime and, and U.S. U.S. foreign policy, um, you have to wonder, is there such thing as peacetime? Uh, we have a statement of purpose. I'm just going to read to you the first part. We as military veterans do hereby affirm our greater responsibility to serve the cause of world peace. And then it says to this end, we will work with others, both nationally and internationally. And then we go into seven different points um, about what we stand for. You can go to, to the veteransforpeace.org website uh, to learn more about the national organization and you can go to vfp92.org to learn about the local chapter here in Seattle. Okay, now we're going to go ahead and get to our guests. Um, we're very fortunate to have them here on the show. Um, I think this is an important interview because the people of Afghanistan really, really need our help. And our government is seems like doing everything it can to hurt the people of Afghanistan. All right. So let's get on to the rest of the show. All right. Well, um, I want to thank our guest um, for being on today. I really appreciate you all taking the time out to uh, come on to our radio show. Um, today, we have Dr. Cheryl Bernard, and I'm gonna have each one of you tell us a little bit about yourselves instead of me, you know, doing a bio, and Masuda Sultan. Um, I was just telling them just before um, we started um, the show that I was, I am very honored to have both of them here and especially which I know that they're working on the unfreeze Afghanistan campaign and with the urgency of the issue, I know that they're very busy. So um, everyone that's listening to this um, know that um, you're getting up to date, very important information about what's going on with in Afghanistan. And uh, we really need everyone to participate in trying to change US policy there. So, um, why don't I have Dr. Cheryl Bernard, why don't you go ahead and, and tell us a little bit about yourself and then uh, we'll have Masuda do that and then we'll get into the, uh, the specifics about um, unfreeze Afghanistan. Sure, well, I'm an army brat actually. I grew up on army bases in mostly in Germany. My dad was the command sergeant major there. Oh. And so I feel a, you know, a strong <laughs> feeling of home when I'm with, uh, with soldiers and veterans. So hello to all of you who may be listening. 
And um, I studied political science and have been involved in Afghanistan issues since the days of the Soviet uh, presence in Afghanistan. At the time, I was working for a European think tank that uh, did assessments of aid projects for the Austrian government. And so I went to Peshawar and spent quite a bit of time there visiting camps, health projects, and so on. And the circumstances were quite dire and desolate in those camps. And it's very depressing to me to see how so many decades later, we're again talking about the misery of the Afghan civilians. So later I went to work for the RAND Corporation. I was in the National Security Research Division, working on counterterrorism, extremism, and post-conflict um, post recovery. And that's what, what my colleagues and I, uh, Masuda, who you're gonna hear from in a moment, and Medea, um, we, we're in, we started the group Unfreeze Afghanistan. That's what we're, we're focused on largely right now, how to get post-war, post-violence, recovery going in, in that country for the civilians, for all the people who weren't evacuated, but who stayed behind and are trying to rebuild their lives there. Thank you, thank you. Um, Masuda? Uh, thanks for having us on your show. And uh, uh, what an interesting, uh, powerful group of uh, voices you have in your organization. And, thank you. Uh, listening to this, I'm, I'm, I'm really honored to be with you. So um, Masuda Sultan, I'm uh, an Afghan American. I was uh, born in Afghanistan, left as a child during the Soviet war, um, grew up in New York City, and um, went to see Afghanistan um, for the first time uh, as an adult, uh, just uh, in the summer of 2001, while the Taliban were still in power and uh, was pretty shocked at the level of uh, poverty and, uh, and the situation with, you know, girls not going to school and, mm. and, and the like, um, and um, came back to New York to um, start an NGO. I had been doing work on girls' education, but it was really hard to do that work to send money to Afghanistan because of um, various restrictions, uh, and I'll get into why that matters now. Um, and... Um, uh, helped found a women's NGO in New York. 9-11 uh, happened and I was here for that. Um, and so I went back to Afghanistan and I've been going back and forth and lived there for a number of years um, doing uh, women's work. We helped build uh, what became the largest women's organization in Afghanistan. Um, and then I did work in support of the U.S. mission there, um, helping uh, uh, build uh, an army there, uh, at least my, my small contribution to it, Police force and uh, you know helping uh, reconstruct uh, uh, reconstruction efforts there. Um, I also got to work a little bit on um, uh, reintegration efforts for uh, ex uh, uh, detainees um, uh, and uh, and peace efforts. And so the last several years have been really focused on uh, peace efforts, uh, seeing what this war has done uh, uh, not only to our people, Americans here. Um, being at Walter Reed um, was really eye-opening, um, but also, uh, you know, the, so the human cost, um, the human cost there in Afghanistan, seeing people crippled and in pain and in poverty and in anguish, um, and then seeing um, the cost, you know, $2.3 trillion uh, this war right. cost us, and counting, um, and thinking about uh, what's happening in Afghanistan now, 
um, along with uh, with Cheryl and Medea, Benjamin from Code Pink, wanting to help that country get back on its feet and uh, see uh, see it stabilized and be on a good path and not wanting to repeat the mistakes of the past in terms of just turning our backs completely. And I would say it's worse now because not only are we turning our backs, but with uh, the seizure of their assets, we're actually crippling them. Um, and thinking about what's in our interest and really how do we heal from this war, both in this country and in that country. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for that introduction. Before we um, get into the meat of the discussion, um, Masuda, when you mentioned um, working with reintegrating detainees and, and working for peace, could you tell us a little bit about that? That sounds, I mean, amazing. And what do you mean by detainees? Who, who are the detainees that you were working with? So there were detainees um, in Afghanistan, in, in Bagram, that uh, many of whom were low-level kind of detainees that uh, we had been holding some of them for a number of years without, you know, charges, without, uh, you know, without due process. Um, and uh, they had been transferred to Afghan prison and were kind of languishing in these prisons. Um, and uh, there was also concern that they may uh, be, you know, become harder and more extremist because mm -hmm. of what was happening to them. So um, the U.S. Uh, government decided to uh, initiate a program to educate them. Uh, most of them were illiterate, even in their own language. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, initially it was the idea of, of teach, trying to teach them in their own languages and um, a very small subset of them may be English, um, some basic life skills, uh, uh, and some basic vocational training. Like, uh, you know, we surveyed and uh, found out that the, some of them, you know, said we want to be bakers, we'll bake bread. Mm. Um, that was their big aspiration in their life. Um, others wanted to become carpenters. Um, and uh, so it was, it was a, an attempt to, um, to both, you know, build goodwill um, and help prepare them for a life uh, upon their release. And uh, that was a, it was an eye-opening experience just because of the, again, because of seeing how poor and illiterate and really, uh, you know, unjust uh, their lives had been uh, and that they were stuck in this, in this situation. And I think what I've learned from this war is that there's so many people that, uh, uh, so many people that were just stuck in, in, in the middle and harmed. Right. Um, and uh, that's, you know, again, that's, and, and it's been going on for such a long time. I mean, this is America's longest war um, and it's just come to an end. And I think, uh, you know, why it really matters right now that we, we do the right thing in terms of the Afghan civilian population, there are 40 million people, is that we want, you know, we want the legacy of this, uh, of America's role um, to be one that is truly about ending the war, and truly about peace. Um, and right now, a lot of people are suffering because of these sanctions and the freezes. And it feels like we have an economic war going on with Afghanistan. We're driving millions and millions of people into poverty. Uh, in fact, the UN says the oh, 95, 97% of people are now in poverty. Mm. Um, it's, uh, it feels really, it feels really cruel and unjust. And I think it's not good for our legacy. You know, we, I think we're such, I love America. I mean, I'm an immigrant, so I, you know, I'm, I'm all about the, you know, the American 
American dream and the whole story. And, and I got an amazing education here and got so much opportunity and have incredible friends and they're compassionate and kind and generous. And I want that to be the projection of our values in our foreign policy, particularly when it comes to one of the poorest countries in the world, which we had a role in getting to this point. So I won't go on and on about that, but I'll just say that it's with that intention that we do this work. Right. Yeah, well, you know, um, US, the US is complex in terms of, of how it acts, not only in the world, um, but here at home too. Um, and I love our, my country, our country uh, very much, but, um, and, I, and I feel like similarly to yourself in terms of being willing to call it out with the things that it does that are not right and try to make us um, live up to the ideals, at least the ones we profess to. And, and I feel like that is what you're doing. And I really appreciate that. Um, and yeah, we are, I feel anyway, I agree with you about the economic war. It's, whether it's not the longest war, you know, that said, I don't know, Iraq, um, we've been there. I was in the first invasion and, and in between that and the second invasion, there was, you know, continuous military um, efforts by the United States. And to me, it's all the war in Afghanistan, Iraq, these sanctions, they're all part of the same effort. Um, but to get to solutions, which is what Unfreeze Afghanistan is about, um, and trying to make things better and right and just, um, real quick on the front page and for the listeners out there, uh, you can go to unfreezeafghanistan.org. And I just want to read uh, this uh, urgent call to action real quick so that people can get a little bit of a context um, and then um, have you all talk uh, more about the campaign and what you want people to do. So urgent call to action. On February 11, President Biden issued an executive order regarding the $7 billion of Afghan funds invested in the U.S. Federal Reserve Bank. Biden called for the money to be divided in two, with half going to compensate 9-11 families who had been, who had been suing the Taliban for sheltering Al-Qaeda, and the other half going to humanitarian aid. But the Afghan people are not responsible for 9-11, and more than humanitarian aid, they need their money to be returned to their central bank to shore up their collapsing economy. Moreover, these funds are not Biden's to distribute. They belong to the Afghan people. Join us in expressing outrage at Biden's cruel unilateral measure and calling on him to reverse this decision. And then listeners, you can sign a petition, which I signed um, yesterday or the day before um, to do just that, to try to change this policy. Now I heard um, Masuda and, uh, and uh, Medea on Democracy Now, I guess, two days ago. And, and that's what, you know, I heard about this policy, but I wasn't hearing um, what people were doing. And, and this really got me excited because now I was like, oh, I can really do something to make a difference. So why don't you, I don't know, maybe we should start with Masuda um, or you two can decide to tell us more about the campaign and, uh, you know, what we need to do and, and how you feel about what's happening. Well, I want to pick up on what Masuda said. She said that, you know, it's been, whether it's the longest one or not, it's a 20-year war yeah. and it has come to an end. 
But what's bothering us is that apparently for many in the US, it has not come to an end, including for the US government. It seems like there's a great feeling of vengeance. You know, a lot of our military generals are very upset. They feel that they were embarrassed there, that they failed there, the politicians and policymakers as well. And it seems like they would like this experiment there to fail. They want the Taliban to go down and they don't care if 40 million people go down with them. So that, so, you know, after World War II, which is my generation, um, we were very generous in helping Germany where arguably you could say that the people had been far more involved with the Nazi, you know, ideology than the Afghans ever were with the Taliban. There we helped, you know, we had the, we had the Marshall Plan, we helped them rebuild their economy, we helped them build their cities back. We, we helped put them back on their feet again because we believed that a stable country was going to lead to more global stability too. And why are we not taking the same view in Afghanistan? So that, that's a big question. And then the second thing that we are seeing that worries us is that we're putting that country back on the track to become a recipient of aid. Now, if you think about it, we were there for 20 years. We were supposedly doing nation building. We were creating institutions. We invested, as you know, as Masuda said, an extraordinary amount of our country's wealth that we might have needed at home. We invested it in supposedly building a successful modern Afghanistan there. At the end of it, they had absolutely no ability to be an independent country. 75% of their revenue still came from outside. They had foreign experts running everything, their health sector, everything, their government, their, every institution, every ministry had foreign experts there running things. And the contractors were essentially running the country. And now with this, with this plan that we're uh, attempting to force on them, we're going to continue that into the future because instead of giving them their own money so that they can start planting their fields, fixing their irrigation systems, repairing their roads, repairing their homes, buying inventory for their little shops, exporting, importing. Instead of enabling them to do that, we're just gonna give them handouts again. And we're taking their money and turning it into handouts. So I think the one, the one thing that's important to know, because it's not obvious you know, from the way that the, the executive order has presented it is, what is this money anyway? What are these $7 billion? that President Biden has now divided in half and assigned to new ownership. Well, this isn't Taliban money and it's not even Afghan government money. This is what's called the sovereign wealth of a country. It's the foreign reserve exchange money of the country, which ironically they put in the US thinking it would be safer there mm. because you know they could invest it in, in gold and US bonds. And rather than keeping it in Afghanistan where things are not stable, they thought, well, the money will be safer in US banks, not realizing that it also meant that that money was losing their, was getting out of their control and could just be frozen, seized, and now even given away to others by the US government. So that money belongs to the Afghan people. It's been deposited in the central bank, which is a bank that we established. It's run by a banking law. There's an audit committee that's in charge of it. It has like modern systems of transparency so you can see where the money goes. And uh, that money is needed to make the, the country give it liquidity. Because right now there's like no cash, no currency. People can't get their money out. They can't get their deposits out of the other banks because there's no liquidity in the country because that's the job of the central bank. So what we're saying is give them back their money. If you don't trust them, give it to them in smaller amounts and see what they do with it. 
the central bank experts say that they need $150 million a month to keep the country running. Give them $150 a month, see what they do. If it gets you know, seized by the Taliban who marches in with guns and takes it away from the central bank, well then, then you can freeze it legitimately, but not preemptively and you can't give it away to others. Right, right. Masuda? Um, yeah, Cheryl laid it out really well. Um, so just two, two other points to add to that. You know, what's ironic uh, in, in terms of this policy is like as for taxpayers, you know, this, this $7 billion already exists for Afghanistan's economy, its liquidity they need, as mentioned. Um, and it's going to help them uh, uh, tremendously in terms of getting back on their feet because they are crippled right now, mm-hmm. not having this, this money and having all of this other money leave. Um, but here we are raising money for humanitarian aid to go through the UN, um, and we're actually paying for it. Uh, uh, taxpayers are paying for, for that humanitarian aid. Uh, meanwhile, we have $7 billion that costs us nothing to deploy. Um, that will uh, arguably be uh, more effective, uh, not just arguably, actually, according to experts, will certainly, even humanitarian organizations will tell you that that's better. They don't want the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, they know that their overheads are high. You know, you're talking about 70% overheads um, mm-hmm. in these organizations. Um, and it's not like the UN is, isn't, you know, doesn't have any corruption. Um, and so taxpayers are having to, uh, on the one hand, foot the bill for that and then uh, 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 and not use the money that's already there, the $7 billion that's theirs. Um, so uh, that's one, one point. Um, and, then, uh, and then the other point, you know, uh, is about this whole thing about the Taliban and not wanting to give this money to the Taliban. Right. Well, the Taliban themselves say this is not our money. Uh, they, they, there's literally no faction uh, that owns this money. Uh, there is wide agreement among the Afghan community uh, and the Afghans in Afghanistan that this is the sovereign wealth of the country. Everybody knows this. Um, and so uh, it's so, not about Masuda, giving money to the Taliban. I, I want to, yeah, I want to emphasize, you just said the Taliban themselves say the money doesn't belong to the Taliban, it belongs to the people, which Taliban's part of the people of Afghanistan, but they're saying that this money belongs to the people of Afghanistan. Is that what you just said? Yes, that's correct. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, they, I, they please say, go on, yes. Yeah, no, they, they, they say it belongs in the central bank. Now let's, let's look at the central bank of Afghanistan. Uh-huh. We modeled that central bank on the Federal Reserve. We spent 20 years building it up with American experts, systems, software, processes. We trained Afghans, sent them to different countries. We made all these investments um, so that 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 central bank could run and it could run in a way that was um, up to our standards. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has an audit board. Uh, it has Afghan-Americans on the audit board. It has uh, an international auditor that still gives regular reports. None of that has changed. It has the same law. It is uh, the most technocratic institution uh, that we built in Afghanistan. So when you talk about uh, the Taliban, you know, they're, they, they, the rules are the same. Uh, and they themselves know that. And they've, they've said that they respect that. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's this 
perception that the Taliban are just going to take this money and use it as a slush fund or, you know, grab it or seize it or use it just to pay their fighters or whatever, whatever, you know, is, is, is being screwed out there. Um, but that's, uh, you know, when you talk to, to the, to people that have been running these institutions for years and years, they, 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 there's a general, this is one thing, by the way, Afghans don't agree on a lot, but this is one thing across the board that, uh, that everyone agrees on is that that money is for the central bank. Right. Right. Okay. Well, Cheryl, um, a few minutes ago, you, you posed the question and perhaps rhetorically, or, or I'm not sure, um, why the U.S. is choosing to behave in this manner as opposed to after World War II, um, really looking to support, uh, you know, like they did with the Marshall Plan in Germany. Um, so I think there's maybe three reasons. And one is that the United States and the Allies won the war. Um, and it's easier to want to rebuild something when you won because you can rebuild it on your own terms. Um, and they didn't win this one. Um, one is that there's people of color. There, there's racism involved. And I think the third is um, Islamophobia. I believe, I believe those three things are, are the reason. You know, um, U.S. doesn't have the same type of cultural ties and all that kind of stuff as they did with Europe. Um, so it's kind of like invisible to many Americans. Uh, whereas after World War II, um, a lot of people here have ties to Germany and, and the rebuilding of Europe in general. Um, so that's what I kind of think. Does that make any sense or? Yeah, I think I think it does, yeah. actually. I'm sh I think it's probably a mix of those three. Mm -hmm. I would think the I think it leans most strongly to the first of those mm -hmm. that, you know, that that there's just so much anger at how this ended and yeah. so much embarrassment about it. You know, and then the mess at the I mean, all, the whole thing, the 20 years, the amount of money that was spent, the government that we propped up and how they ran away at the end. That then that catastrophic stuff at the airport. Yeah. Um, that you know the, the whole the whole thing is just not a pretty picture. And while we're on the subject of not a pretty picture, yeah. To talk for maybe just for a minute about the other half of that money. So three point yes. five billion um, is designated for humanitarian aid, but the other half is sort of set aside for that lawsuit of nine eleven families. Right. And it you know. Masuda and you both were, I thought, very movingly describing what the U.S. is about and what our values are and what we're like as people towards others, you know, especially mm -hmm. others in need. And that is the, that is a very sorry spectacle because, you know, there has been, yes, 9-11 was terrible. It was traumatic. People lost relatives. Their lives got upended. Absolutely. But there also has been, which people may not remember, there actually has been significant compensation mm -hmm. that has been given to those victims and their families um, closer to the time of when it actually happened. Mm -hmm. And what you're having now, I mean, there are articles in the, in the New York Times and other newspapers that kind of are describing a very, a very unappealing scavenger situation that's going on among among law firms and lawyers mm -hmm. and various groups who are kind of you know throwing themselves on this supposed on this supposed treasure here that that they all want to grab a piece of 
And when you when you remember that that this money doesn't belong to a terrorist organization, it belongs to either the poorest or the second poorest country, depending on what statistics you look at in the world. And those 40 million people there who are just trying to survive this winter, let alone try to have you know anything like a normal life again, then that really isn't the generous America that 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 we were t- talking about a little earlier. Right. No, def- definitely. And for me, um, again, having participated in the first invasion of Iraq and in the aftermath of that with the sanctions that were placed on Iraq. And, you know, there's controversy about the 500,000 children that died. Um, some people say that's not true. Others say that it is. But certainly what is true is that a, a number of people died as as part of those sanctions. Um, and this rate, it weighed heavy on me after I found out about that and really started looking at U.S. foreign policy and what what sanctions do um, and how. Yeah, there's there's people in every country, this one included, um, who, you know, you want to call them bad people, what people who do bad things and need to be held accountable. But. Again, Masuda was speaking to how she went back to Afghanistan and saw the devastation that regular people caught in the middle of war have to face. And that's the case in every war. And those people should not have to pay any price for decisions made that are totally out of their hands, that they have no control over whatsoever. And I feel like that's what's happening now. And it really breaks my heart. Um, So... And just, sorry, just to add yeah, a footnote please. to that, because we were looking at the demographics because we knew that that's a very young population in right. Afghanistan, as you have often in third world countries. Yeah. And actually, just a little more than half of the current Afghan population was not even born yet on 9-11. So to punish them for something, you know, they weren't even on the planet right. yet. That's just really wrong. That's so true. So true. Um, I was actually in New York when September 11 happened. Um I so happened, I lived in New Jersey, but I was working uh, in New York City. And so I remember the day very well. I have pictures from the day. And so I understand, you know, from firsthand, fortunately, no one in my family or close friends were killed. Uh, and, and I could have been, only say this because I used to go through the World Trade Center sometime. I took the New Jersey path to work and sometimes I would uh, take it. And sometimes I would take the train. So sometimes, um, you know, I would take it to uh, the World Trade Center because that's just a neat way to go in and short to go into work. And I didn't that day. Um, so I understand the fear uh, that people had, et cetera. Um, so I, I just wanted to say that because I want listeners to understand that I do understand that. But at the same time, you know, you have to set fear aside to do what's right. And right now what we're doing is not right. Um, I see on the website, and I thought we might talk about this for a minute because we want to talk about what people can do. And there's a fact sheet. And, and one of the things it says, what can be done? Options for addressing the funding payments and cash, cash crisis. And I think you all spoke to that a little bit. I want to go over it a little bit more because I, I, I'm hoping that people that hear this and, and, and especially the skeptical ones that might be on the fence, if, if they hear, okay, this makes sense, we could actually do this, um, people might 
be more apt to try to push the government to do what's right. So one of the things you have is send money in a targeted way directly to the intended civilian recipients. Can you all talk a little bit about what that is, what that means? Well, you know, at core, it is this. It is the liquidity of the banking system. It is the country being able to back up its currency. You know, they did these currency auctions. They, you know, would get the shipment of U.S. dollars uh, every every, uh, every week or every month mm -hmm. to conduct these currency auctions. Um, and so the Afghani has been uh, really unstable, the price of of, of wheat and oil and flour has jumped dramatically. And in the course of a day, we have people reporting in from Afghanistan. I talk to people every day in Afghanistan who tell me what's going on and this, uh, they can't stabilize their currency. So in a day, the price of, of, of staples like, like wheat or oil uh, will jump sometimes three, four times more than that during a day. Hmm. Um, so they need, so they, they, they need to be able to stabilize their currency um, and uh, and the second part of that is the liquidity of the banking system. This is the challenge here right now with Afghanistan is how do you get money, cash into the hands of people as soon as possible? Right. They need cash in order to survive. And the fastest way to do that is to give them back their reserves so that they can get their money out of the bank. Um, now, there's one more wrinkle to this which is that the, uh, the government, uh, not only is there a shortage of dollar notes, uh, US dollar notes, there's also a shortage of local Afghani cash notes. Hmm. Um, uh, like any economy, you need to keep printing money, um, even if it's just for maintenance, but also it's normal. Uh, they're unable to print money. And the last government uh, had a, a shipment of cash that was supposed to come and never did. So they're already uh, more than six months, I think probably like closer to a year behind on the physical, you know, there's a shortage of physical cash notes. And we, in order to address that, we need, uh, we need uh, uh, the sanctions to be addressed because the printing company won't send them the, the, the notes because they don't want the U.S. Um, to punish them. Wow. Uh, so that's under uh, sanctions so, too, yeah. So, so there's well, we didn't we didn't mean that people yeah. should send money. Yeah, that's not what we meant by that point. We don't intend that people should send money there. What we mean is that they need access to their existing money. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And the way to get uh, that is sign the petition, get in touch with your congressional representatives. You know, just try to get the U.S. government to make the right decision. Right. Right. Masuda, did you have more that you wanted to? Yeah, no, I think those are those are those are exactly the ideas to remind them that a central bank is a, is is this is a central bank. This is not a slush fund. This is not a expense fund. Right. This is not a fund to pay off lawsuits uh, uh, for the Taliban. This is the Afghan people's money, and they need they need their money to get out of this crisis. And we as taxpayers don't want to be spending for humanitarian aid through the nose to make up for crippling an economy. Um, so right. uh, that's one part of it. And of course we should be giving them humanitarian aid. I mean, we are responsible in, 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 in large part for what happened in that country. We built an economy on aid um, and it will cost us a very, very small percentage of the war. Uh, you know, we were fighting to end the war and uh, uh, the U.S. government was negotiating with the Taliban to end the war. 
Uh, we, it was, a, a, you know, costing us $50 billion a year. Um, uh, and, you know, they're asking for their measly $7 billion back, and we're saying no. <laughs> right. uh, but we just, you know, we were just able to cut our expenses there um, by such a great amount by ending the war. And I wish it had ended earlier, but here right. we are. Right. So that's one part of it. So, you know, ex- maybe explaining to your Congress person who often aren't aware of the of, of these aspects of it, uh, what what it really means to give them back their money, that it costs us nothing. Right. Um, and then the second part of that is, you know, on this uh, uh, on this lawsuit, um, on the 9-11 families lawsuit, uh, you know, there may not be much that we can do, but we can raise our voices uh, to say that to carry out justice, it would be to return uh, this money to the Afghan people, which we have seized. And secondly, um, I'm just going to put the call out there to your listeners uh, that if if they're, uh, we're exploring this, as, as are a number of other NGOs and organizations, uh, as because most of them feel the same way we do, whether it's Human Rights Watch or International Rescue Committee, the head of the UN has said this money should be unfrozen. Um, we're exploring uh, uh, filing an amicus brief in that lawsuit um, on behalf of uh, uh, of, uh, of the women and children of Afghanistan, and we would love to um, explore options with pro bono lawyers. But mm-hmm. also, um, uh, I'm I'm putting it out there for the first time on your show that. Um, if there's folks in uh, uh, your organization or other veterans who feel the same way that we shouldn't be punishing, you know, 40 million people uh, and driving them to a famine in the middle of a pandemic after a 20 year war, that we should return their money back to their rightful owners. If there's people that believe that that's the right thing to do, um, then uh, maybe they could sign on with us in this amicus brief. Okay. I will definitely talk to the leadership of Veterans for Peace about that, for sure. Um, I do wanna just quickly go through these other two uh, under that um, heading on the fact sheet on finance in Afghanistan and what you what can be done. Um, the next one, and, and you've spoken to it, I just wanna emphasize it. Uh, it says, employ a sequence conditional release of funds to selected government Taliban agencies and ministries. Can, can you all talk about what you mean by that? So our organization actually started which, with a much smaller focus. Everyone was saying, you know, we want the girls to be able to go to school. We want the schools to reopen in Afghanistan. But we discovered that the teachers hadn't been paid even for the last couple of months of the previous government, the Ghani government, right. let alone after August, because there wasn't any money. So we were saying, well, you can't really ask for schools to be reopened and teachers to teach if you're not going to pay the teachers. So we were asking just for funds to be unfrozen to pay the teachers. And our argument did resonate because people agreed that this was logical. So we made quite a bit of headway with that. But this was in August, remember, and September. And then after that, the news started coming out about the, the the severity of the winter and the fact that the drought had led to food shortages and the fact that there was no money circulating in the country at all and people couldn't have access to their accounts and they weren't, no one was getting their wages, not just the teachers. So we realized then 
that the problem was a much bigger one and that we that's why we chose this name because we realized that mm. it wasn't just the teacher salaries it was the whole country that needed to be unfrozen right. and sort of freed from this stranglehold that we were putting on it so you know so we were saying well the health system has to be paid for and funded and people have to be able to get their wages so that they can support their families so that's what that means it means that that for example anybody who's on a government salary my, I have a, a separate organization that works on cultural heritage. So we were talking to the Kabul Museum. They have a staff of over 80 people. Nobody's been paid. Nobody can heat. They can't heat the, their homes. They're wow. freezing. You know, it's everybody across the board. So, so you have to, you have to pay the salaries of, you know, the sanitation workers, the trash collectors, the everybody who's keeping any sort of municipal services going. Right. And then you have to let the other people have their money too. So that small enterprises and small little businesses, the shops and the bazaars, so that all of that can get going again. Right. It's literally frozen. Hmm. Yeah, can I just add to that? Please. Yeah, like uh, for example, with the teacher salaries and the healthcare worker salaries, um, we learned that um, a lot of this money was in uh, a, a trust fund at the World Bank, and the money was just sitting there, not being used. Mm. Um, again, this cost nothing to release, but we were holding it. Um, so, um, what I again, what I think in terms of like, what is the smart thing to do? It's also the right thing to do. Um, it's better for our country. And then when you think about Afghanistan, I mean, is it really in our interest to withhold their funds, um, drive them into this extreme poverty, uh, uh, potentially create a failed state? Um, and then what are the costs to us and the world in terms of security? What are the costs to us in terms of uh, migration? There's already a million people that have left the country and have headed west um, besides the people we evacuated. Um, and do we really, can we really afford for Afghanistan to be a failed state and to have um, those costs, those, those security and financial costs to us? Right. And that's really great question. And let's talk about that um, a little bit more. But before we do that, I just want to, and I, I don't, you know, necessarily, unless you want to expound on this, but the third point was directly fund international and local NGOs. And what it says is a, a brief sentence, um, directly fund international and local NGOs, as well as UN agencies, which need to purchase food and other supplies and to pay the salaries of humanitarian workers and other essential staff. And that, that seems to me to be pretty straightforward. I don't know if, if one of you wanna speak to that real briefly, but I do wanna talk before we close um, about what you just said, Masuda, how smart is it um, this, uh, if you set aside what's right and wrong for a moment, let's talk about how pragmatic is it to, to do what we're doing right now. But do you want to speak to this direct fund international and local NGOs at all? Uh, well, I'll just say that, uh, you know, that, that NGOs are, um, you know, have been, uh, a huge part of the equation in terms of services. Um, and uh, uh, when a government collapses and you don't have, you know, and, and people don't want to fund, for example, like the health and education ministry, which we which we think they should fund, mm -hmm. uh, because it's the same teachers, it's the same healthcare workers, again. Um, but the uh, NGO sector 
uh, could be funded to be doing a lot of work that the government can't do right now. Uh, so that's really important. And then there's a UN appeal out, a $4.4 billion appeal out. It's the largest country appeal in UN history, mm. and it's only 9% funded. So we need to direct resources to there as well. Right, right. Yeah, so getting back to this question um, about how smart is this to do and, and that it's just not good policy. Um, so one thing, you know, we talked about inflation a little bit, and I just want to point out to to listeners, but really it seems like even to the uh, administration that one of the reasons um, World War II, I, I think in a way happened in terms of the, the public um, in Germany, um, being able to, to be manipulated to follow uh, this ideology, the, the Nazi and the ideology is because the rampant inflation that took place uh, in Germany and people needed for there to be some security. They needed to be able to, to know that, you know, I'm not going to see prices go up. Like you, you were saying, it's happening, you know, five times in one day. Uh, people, people need to, to feel like they know what's going to happen. Some stability, I think, is the word I'm looking for. And, and if um, someone can provide that for people when there's chaos, many times people will follow. So that's one thing that comes to mind for me. But the other is, you know, how, and I, I guess I'm asking for what you all think about this, um, how the U.S. claims it was there, that we were there as a nation to protect and support the people of Afghanistan. And, and I would guess, of course, I don't have any idea. You all know better than me, especially you, Masuda, that there are a number of people that might have thought, yeah, the United States is helping us and things can get better with the U.S. But then the U.S. leaves and acts as if we don't care about them anymore. So I'm wondering, number one, you know, I spoke about the inflation, but then number two, our attitudes, not necessarily the people who already disliked and didn't trust the U.S. in the first place, but what about people who did trust the U.S.? Um, what are they thinking? And, and also just, just in general, what is the attitude um, in Afghanistan now towards the U.S. as regular Afghans face just um, you know, horrible conditions that look like unless the U.S. changes its policy, are only going to get worse. Well, so um, I, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Cheryl. It's that's better. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I was going to say we have to look at the calendar too. Spring is coming. Mm -hmm. This is a country, an agricultural country, and a country of merchants. The Silk Road, right? So they had a famine this winter. What's going to happen next winter if they can't plant mm. this spring? Mm. We can, I mean, that's pretty, that's, that's pretty basic science to know what's going to happen. And what will people, you, you're asking what are people's attitudes? I want to answer that in two different ways. Mm -hmm. One is, in any situation like that, people are going to ask themselves, is the situation going to get better? Can I have a life here? Right. And if all they see is the UN handing out packets of, you know, rice and oil, that's not a life, that's maybe survival. So people are already, already at least a million people have headed across the border. And that is going to be the tip of the iceberg if this continues. Either they're going to join ISIS the way they joined the Taliban, not just necessarily out of ideological persuasion, but because they would get money for that and mm -hmm. they would have a, you know, a meaning 
to their existence. They're going to join ISIS and then we're gonna have a real problem. Or they're going to go to Europe, head towards Europe. And we know how that's going to go and what effect that will have on the economies and the political systems, political stability in Europe. So this is definitely not something that makes zero sense at all to our own foreign policy. What do they think about us? Well, this executive order was widely seen as incomprehensible by them. You know, how could a country as rich and powerful as the United States essentially steal from them? They, they, it's something that they really fail to understand and, and so do I. Yeah. Masuda? Yeah, I, I, I think uh, it, uh, it, it was uh, uh, received as an insult uh, by uh, the, but there were protests over it. Mm. Um, there had been protests before uh, by men and by women to unfreeze the money. And then um, when the executive order came out, there were uh, protests about the executive order. Um, you know, people had been hoping that uh, things would get a little bit better. Uh, you know, there were all kinds of uh, meetings happening between the Taliban and the U.S. And it seemed like there was some sense that the, there was at least an intention to return to normalcy. Um, and this executive order felt to people like a, like a stab in the chest. Yeah. I don't know how else to to say it. It sounds harsh, but um, and, you know, I understand there's legal technicalities to this money and the court case. And I get all of that. But when you're when you're a poor person, when your family members are starving, when your children are screaming at the top of their lungs and you yeah. can't get them anything to eat and you're waiting on the international community to bring you aid and you can't get your money out of the bank. And then they tell you that they're taking your money. You know, that's, that's just not right. 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 Yeah. And yet I will say one thing. I will yes. say that Afghans have incredible amount of goodwill towards Americans, an incredible oh. amount. I have witnessed it. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen, I see it even, uh, the Taliban are even saying the United States is a compassionate, generous yeah. country. Their foreign minister said that. Um, so I hope we live up to that ideal. I hope we find a way to reverse this policy and that we find a way to return this money back to its rightful owners, the Afghan people. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. I Many times I my experience with people has been that people are able to distinguish between governments and the people in countries many times. Um, so I, I'm guessing that might be um, what when people say that we're compassionate here in the U.S., they're talking about the people. And yeah, I, I hope, and that's why we're having this show and we're gonna get the word out. So um, you spoke a little bit, Masuda, about signing on to an amicus brief. So where would people, how would they get in touch? Who should they get in touch with and how to do that if they wanted to? Yeah, so um, our website, unfreezeafghanistan.org, um, we have our email is office at unfreezeafghanistan.org. Okay. Um, they can they can get in touch there. Again, we're looking for pro bono lawyers and we're looking for you know, veterans uh, uh, to voice their concern over uh, what uh, what is the right policy and what is the smart policy for our country. And if anyone would like to work with us or join us, we'd be happy for that, too. Okay. Can you tell us real quick a little bit about when you say work with a join, tell us a little bit about what it is that people you want people to 
if they what would they be doing you know well it would range from something small like sharing it you know to you know, on your own social media sure. sharing these messages getting them out to your friends to any other groups and associations you might be part of mm-hmm. or if people have have more time and more inclination they could help us with things like organize our database, things that we need to do to, to stay on top of things, make our organization more effective, help write letters to Congress, things like that. Okay. And I think I saw, I'm, I'm trying to look real quick and as an example of something people can do. I think I saw a list of Congress people um, that stop Congress from blocking IMF funds. Let me see. Real quick here. Yeah. So yeah, on your that. yeah. So, so 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 checking in with our website now and again is a great thing to do if you want to help us. Yeah, because there is a list of Congress people specific, like French Hill, uh, Andy mm-hmm. Barr, um, Ann Wagner, and so if and this is one of the things I'm gonna look into with Veterans for Peace if we can find out if we have members in these congressional districts. Um, so listeners, and this really broadcast mostly here in Seattle, but we're going to get, get it out, um, you know, podcast wise and try to get people across the country to listen to it. Um, if we can get people to contact these individual representatives, Pete Sessions, um, that I think will, you know, put some pressure on these Congress, on Congress to, uh, to make the change that needs to be made. And I'm certainly going to get in touch with, with our, um, our Congress people. Uh, in the uh, Washington delegation, Adam Smith is my is my co- congressional representative, so I'd definitely be in touch with him. That's great. Yeah. So, is there anything that you know in closing, either one of you want to say? Um, did you you know our listeners need to hear? Well, you were talking about you know how the Afghans feel about this, and yeah. there's actually a pretty strong grapevine, I think, of Afghan Americans two Afghans in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we were surprised to know that, that they were registering that American people were discussing this and were not necessarily behind this executive order. And okay. that meant a lot to the people on the ground there. So shows like yours and others really do create a people to people you know, level of, of rapport and communication that I think is really important. Okay, that's great. Thank you very much. Masuda? Yeah, we, uh, you know, American vets, uh, I witnessed firsthand their role in ending the war in Afghanistan. Uh, It's such a powerful voice in this country. And I think having their voice now speaking up uh, for uh, ending this policy would really matter uh, if, uh, in addition to calling your congressman, you know, speaking to, to press about this, again, you can get in touch with us. And if you have friends in the media, who are willing to do a story, uh, we'd love to have that, have your voice in it as well, speaking out against these policies and um, uh, standing up for right, what's right uh, for our country and for theirs. All right. Well, thank you so much um, for taking out the time um, doing this. You know, I know it has to be really busy for what you all are doing um, to try to make this change. So I want to thank Dr. Cheryl Bernard and Masuda Sultan for being on the show. And, um, you know, we'll keep in touch and, and we'll, we'll make this happen. It was great talking to you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. That's it for this show. 
Thank you to Dr. Cheryl Bernard and Masuda Sultan for taking our time to talk to us today. Visit unfreezeafghanistan.org to learn more about how you can help the people of Afghanistan. Now, the U.S. should unfreeze their funds so the Afghans can help themselves. Contact your congressional delegation about this urgent matter. Our nation owes a debt to the people of Afghanistan. We certainly should not take money from them after spending what a U.S. Today article reports as $2.3 trillion on the Afghan war itself and $5.8 trillion on that war and other conflicts stemming from the U.S. response to the September 11 attacks. And those numbers are according to a Brown University study. And the reason I say uh, I, I'm saying in response to the September 11 attacks because the U.S. could have responded in a different way and we didn't have to go to war in Afghanistan. We didn't have to go to war in Iraq. Uh, I'm not going to say there might not have been some kind of violence, um, but it did not have to be the way that it has turned out in those two countries and catching so many innocent people who had no control whatsoever about the decisions that were made, catching all those innocent people in a crossfire, people dying and people being displaced. And now that we, the US and, and the, our partners have left Afghanistan, we're looking at um, people facing starvation and extreme poverty, even worse than it was before the United States invaded. Okay, so tune in next time every fourth Wednesday of the month at 6 p.m. Pacific time on KODX 69.9 or listen to the stream at KODXSeattle.org. Now the theme music you hear is Victory from the Passion Hi-Fi. You can hear his music at thepassionhi-fi.com. Again, thank you for tuning in. And until next time, power to the peaceful. Peaceful.